Uh, I got saved out of a situation like that. Uh, I became a Christian out of an environment like that. So that's a very important ministry. And if you want more information on that, uh, contact the church. We would love to get you involved. Go ahead and give, uh, give everyone a round of applause again. I just want to get you fired up. I can do all this because I'm the new guy and there's a lot of grace right now. Um, if you're new with us, um, so am I, and I'm glad you're here. Uh, I am the new uh, lead pastor. My name is John Maroos. We are, we are thrilled to have you, and uh, we would love to get to know you and tell you about the vision of Bethel. And for you who call this your home, it is a good day, amen? It is, it is a good day. It is a good day. And so my heart on the front row is about to explode about every minute. Uh, I get so excited to be here and be with you. And so if you get excited during the sermon, you just let it out, okay? I feel like I do all the talking up here. Uh, so you just let it out and get real excited about the Lord. Well, let's do this. Take a Bible, if you will, and turn to Mark chapter 11. And if you want to grab a pew Bible in front of you, it's page 1003. And let me thank everyone this week. Um, I was really blown away this week by everything that happened here at Bethel. Uh, I think about every day this week I saw people praying in this building. And that's a fantastic testimony of what God has done here in your hearts. Um, I think about every day this week I heard about someone sharing their faith with another person in our city. Um, and I saw tremendous work going in to all that Bethel does. So we're doing a great job and I want you to know that. And that the Lord is pleased, and we're going to do even greater things in the days to come for the Lord Jesus Christ. <clears throat> there you go. All right. We got some excitement over here. This is Palm Sunday. This is Palm Sunday. Um, and we'll be looking in Mark chapter 11 uh, this morning. Palm Sunday marks the beginning of what we call Passion Week. And if you're not a Christian or you're not familiar with that, what that means is that... Uh, this is the celebration, or um, our celebration, I, I should say, of the Lord Jesus Christ entering into Jerusalem. Friday, he will be crucified. And so this Friday evening, we will, we will celebrate that. It will, be, it will be a celebration of what the Lord did on the cross. And then Sunday is the resurrection. Three days later, later the Lord Jesus Christ rose from the dead. And next Sunday, we will celebrate Easter. I hope you're here and I hope you bring someone. Uh, but for this morning, we look at Palm Sunday. What in the world is, is Palm Sunday? Um, I'm sure everybody uh, is familiar with going to a service of some type uh, called Palm Sunday. I hope, I hope it was exciting. I hope you didn't sleep through it. But what can we do with this day? What can we do to make it more than just another Christian service? We can often attend services like this um, and treat them as just tradition. But if you're with me, we need more, amen? We, we need more. We need this day to do something in our souls. We have to leave here in a beautiful collision with God. Now, this can't be just another day or another ceremony. We need through Palm Sunday to hear from God and through the Holy Spirit in what He wants to do tomorrow and Tuesday in our homes and on our way to work. We need to be changed by Palm Sunday. And so I wrote this question down and I ask it to you this morning. What if Palm Sunday could enter into our stories? What if, what if God through this account of Mark 11 could enter into our stories today and change us through His Holy Spirit? 
And in order to do that, Bethel, in order to experience God through Palm Sunday, we got to figure out what Palm Sunday is all about. we got to figure out the meaning of this thing that we call Palm Sunday. And so I want you to write notes. I want you to worship as I preach. I want you to remember. But I want you to understand the meaning behind Palm Sunday. And if we could just grab this, it would help us tremendously. Palm Sunday is a story of control. Write that down. It's a story of control. And when I say control, I want, you, I want you to think about what comes to mind when that word is said. Control. Control. Uh, what, what comes to mind when you think about being controlled? That doesn't sit real well, does it? I, I don't know about you, but I, I like freedom. I think it's one of the gifts of being a human being. We all want freedom. And so when we use the word control, it, it has a tendency to sit a little weird with us. And let me ask you this. As we think about the word control, what comes to mind? What, what happens in your heart when we talk about freedom? Now, freedom is really the baseline narrative in our culture, isn't it? Uh, it seems like everything we do, everything we see, everything we hear, or at least most of it, has this, this narrative or this meaning of, of how to be more free than we are. Um, we, want, we want liberty. We want, uh, we want to be to, as creative as, as we can and, and allow ourselves to be who we want to be. And, and that's perfectly right in, in a thousand different ways. But when you think about the world around us, freedom is pretty much the baseline narrative or story that's projected into our world, especially in San Francisco. I mean, if there's one thing that I think about when I think about San Francisco, the city of love, is I think about the quest for freedom. I am, uh, I am listening to an audio book on the history of San Francisco. I'm a Seattle guy, and we kind of tried to copy San Francisco. We're just not as cool. We're working on it. But uh, I'm learning about San Francisco, and, and I, this is a dangerous thing to ask you, but how many of you guys were here in 1967? Oh, okay. Very good. Crazy year? Crazy year for San Francisco? The human being? Right? Golden Gate Park. Uh, thinking of freedom and thinking of San Francisco. Uh, Paul Kantner was a part of what band? Yeah, some of you are hippies. That's all right. <laughs> Jefferson Airplane, right? Right? Now, yeah, some of you are like, yeah, I still listen to Jefferson Airplane. But thinking about freedom in 1967 and, and how it shaped this city in, in, in light of freedom and how, how many thousands of young people left their homes and even ran away from homes all over the country and traveled to the city of freedom and love and gathered in parks and, and heard music. And, and it was all this, this, ah, this creative time to break away from the, the old generation and their, their crusty morality and their systems and, and find new life and, you know, throw, throw some LSD in there and everything else. And people are really feeling free, right? But that changed the city. Well, Kantner of Jefferson Airplane in 1967 said these words. We who are from San Francisco create an alternative reality. How do you like that? Uh, we here in San Francisco come here or live here because we have the ability here to create, create our own reality and create a freedom. 
That's an interesting thought. But even in 2016, the same message drives our culture today. We all want to be free. We, uh, we hear over and over again that to find yourself, which is what we want, and it's certainly not wrong. But in order to find yourself, to find your true self, uh, we have to be free from outside influences. And we have to be able to look deep inside of our hearts, ignoring outside influence. And we need to be able to explore and find out who we really are. Now, again, parts of that are so right and true. And that, that's the journey. That's the story that all of us have to, to enter in. Um, I have to be very careful here. What cartoon is this from? It's time to see what I can do. To test the limits and break through. No right, no wrong, no rules for me. I'm free. Oh, come on. That's frozen. Now, if you have grandkids, you have seen that movie a hundred times. And so again, freedom being a right of what it is to be human. I mean, it's at the very core of what it means to be a human being. And it's spread all through our culture. It's, it's one of the baseline narratives of find freedom and resist outside influences that seem to bind us. And again, I had to do that. We all have to do that in certain respects. But can I throw a thought at you? Nobody is truly free. I don't believe it's possible to be genuinely and truly free. And I know some of you are probably wrestling with that. I don't like how this is going right here. But listen and just, just wrestle with this thought right here. We've all given something authority over us, which is really shaping our decisions. Isn't that right? So it's funny, in the very quest in my own life to be free, I will think that I'm divorcing all things that may stop me from finding out who I am and exploring new things. But really what, what it comes down to is I'm, I, I'm consumed with acceptance or I'm consumed with being successful or I'm consumed with job or I'm consumed with making money. And, and in the quest to be free, I, I think, well, I'm going to be free by finding career. I'm going to be free by studying this. I'm going to be free by going to the city. What we're really doing is we're really coming under the authority of, of those things. It's a strange, strange thing. And so I say none of us are truly free Something is influencing all of us, and we've given something authority in all of our lives, and so this is where I'm at in life. If none of us are truly free, life is really about finding the greatest thing to follow. If none of us can be truly and genuinely free, all of us are going to be under the authority and influence of something, and we're all going to be shaped by that something that we give authority. What is the greatest authority? What is the most liberating rule? What is the most life-giving command? Well, Jesus shows us this in, in Mark chapter 11. And so I'm going to give you one thought this morning in light of Palm Sunday. And it's going to be 
how you can be free through the authority of Jesus. So let me first of all tell you the story of Palm Sunday, and then we will work this out and see what Jesus says about freedom through his control. Here's the background of Mark chapter 11 before I dive into verse 1. Here's the background. I want you to think a couple thousand years ago, and I want you to think of the Jewish people. Many years before the events in Mark chapter 11, God chose a people to be his special people. Who is it? You talk to me. Who is it? The Jews. Good. The left side's going. You, you got you to catch up here. Okay, there, there we go. There we go. Now we're balancing out. That's fine. That's fine. God chose Israel. He chose the Jews to be his special people. Now, this is kind of cool because in choosing the Jews to be his special people, he wanted to bless them greatly. He wanted, he wanted to give them his presence so that through worship, they would be a people most joyous. And through being a people most blessed and joyous, the outside nations would, would look in to Israel and really be in awe. I mean, look at these people. They're, they're amazingly bright and shiny and beautiful and blessed and happy in their God. And so these nations would, would be drawn to Israel to seek their God and be saved. But what did Israel do? They rejected God's plan. They resisted being God's people. And so God, to wake them up to his goodness and to his plan, God put them under the, the rule of different nations, right? That's what your Old Testament's about, by the way. It's, it's literally Israel just being passed from one Gentile nation to the next, and it's God behind it saying, look, I've got to put you in this situation to awaken you so you'll turn back to me and experience my goodness again and be my people. You get that? And because of their sin, year after year, think about being a Jew in this, in this lifestyle cycle, this cyclical problem of rejecting God and yet another nation comes in and takes you over a nation takes them over and they begin to rule over you and and on and on it goes and because of Israel's sin because of the the sin of the Jewish people nothing had changed but the empire ruling over them but there was a promise to them always a promise to them always God's covenant promise to them that God would one day send a rescuer, send a light, send a hope. And that hope is Jesus Christ. Zechariah chapter 9, just, just listen to me here. I want to I work through this. Uh, in verse 9, here was the promise. And it would be sung by, by the Jewish people as they would wait for this leader one day to come, this Messiah, one day to come and free them from these Gentile people, rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. Righteous and having salvation is he. Humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. So that's what they would think about. One day they would tell their children and grandpa would come over and he would gather the grandkids around and he would say, kids, one day we'll be free of Rome and its captivity. There's, there's the king who will come one day and he will free us. Verse 
Now, when you look at Mark chapter 11, you understand what's going on. The Jewish people have been waiting a thousand years for the king to come and free them. And Jesus is marching around with his 12, and he's pronouncing that he's the one. He's the Messiah. And that's why the thousands and thousands are rallying around Jesus and following him, because they believe he's going to raise up an army, and he's going to crush Rome. Wouldn't that be sweet if you were one of the Jews? He's finally here. And so Jesus finally enters into Jerusalem. And you can see all of the Jewish people during Passover as they're watching Jesus finally make his way up the long hill into the gates of Jerusalem. And they're thinking, here's the king. The king is here. Finally, we'll be free. And they're shouting and they're partying and they're throwing things down, maybe cut corn or wheat or, or, or palm branches or whatever they are. They're lining the streets for the king, hoping that he will free them from the, the evil government, Rome. Pick it up in uh, Mark chapter 11 and verse 1. You with me? Yeah. Now, when they drew near to Jerusalem to Bethphage and Bethany, two towns on the outskirts of Jerusalem, at the Mount of Olives, a hill just outside of Jerusalem. They cut through a couple towns. They go up on the Mount of Olives. And Jesus rallies his 12. There's a little huddle that takes place. And here's what Jesus does. Jesus sends two of his disciples. We don't know who they are. And he says, hey, I, I need you to go get me a horse. Verse 2, and said to them, go into the village in front of you, and immediately as you enter it, you will find a colt tied on which no one has ever sat. I want you to underline that, on which no one has ever sat. We'll return to that in a few minutes. He says, untie it and bring it. That would trip me out. You know, we read the Bible like we listen to like, uh, you know, low. It's very robotic. I mean, if you're one of the two, you're like, really? You want us to go down to this village? And as soon as we enter in, we're going to see a colt that's owned by someone. And you want us to take it. We read the Bible as if they, they said, you know, yes, Lord. And they bomb down the hill and they go into the town. And no, they're questioning this thing. Like, what? Verse 3, if anyone says to you, <laughs> why are you doing this? Why are you stealing that? Say, the Lord has need of it, and we'll send it back here immediately. And they went away and found a cold tide. So they go into this town. These two guys, they're probably thinking, man, we could get killed for this. They go down. They go into the village. They see the colt, and it's tied at a door outside in the street. And they untied it like this. Like, do it, do it. I'll, I'll look, I'll watch, you untie it. So, you know, they're, they're, they're jacking the cold. They're taking the colds. Verse 5, and some of those standing there said, so there's people kind of hanging out in the streets. And they say, what are you doing? Why are you untying the cold? Why are you stealing the cold? And they told them what Jesus had said. Well, oh, the Lord, the Lord has need of it. And they let them go. That had to be awesome. 
What are we doing? The Lord has need of it. You know, and you're thinking, oh, here they come, here they come. And the guys go, okay, fine, cool. And you're thinking, man, get that thing. Come on, let's go. Well, they take this colt, verse 7, and they brought the colt to Jesus and threw their cloaks on it, and he sat on it. So, so now he's, he's entering into the city as the king. This is the prophecy that, that the one who God sends to free Israel, to free you Jews, will come entering and riding on a colt. And so they're, they're declaring him as king by throwing their cloaks on these, these two animals. There's actually two of them. Verse 8, And many spread their cloaks on the road, and others spread leafy branches that they had cut from the fields. They're declaring the king is here. And those who went before and those who followed were shouting. I mean, this is a party. Hundreds of people are saying he's here. They're shouting Hosanna. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David. It's finally time for us to rule over these nations. And so they cry out Hosanna in the highest. The king has finally come to free us from Rome. And if you look at verse 10, the word Hosanna literally means save us. They're shouting this, save us. There he is, kids, save us. Save us, Jesus of Nazareth. Save us from these these pagans. And so you have this amazing scene. Jesus is so close. And you know where he's going? He's going up through Jerusalem, and he's going into the temple. And when Jesus goes into the temple, he is declaring that God is back with man. I mean, it's on. It is on. And so these Jews would have been looking and seeing that the king, the Messiah, the son of God, is entering into Jerusalem, and, and this thing's about to explode. I mean, he's going to rally all the Jewish people, and we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna go back down, and we're just going to mob Rome. And we're going to rule. And you know, guys, if I can just stop there for a minute... So many times we can fall into this wrong idea of Jesus, that, that, that Jesus is here to do things for us that will give us new comfort, a new power, a new prosperity. And Jesus is so radically different. Blessed, verse 10, is the coming kingdom of our father David, Hosanna in the highest. And so what do you think Jesus is going to do? Certainly he's going to go into the temple. He's going to declare that God has returned. He's the son of God. You Jews are my people. Come in. Let's experience the presence of God. And let's go out and rule the world. And and verse 11 hits. He enters into Jerusalem. He goes into the temple. And when he had looked around at everything, now you got to be a Jew here. You got to look into this thing. You're following him up the hill. He goes into the outer court of the temple. He's he's entering in, and you're thinking, now's the time. He's going to liberate us. Jesus walks in. He calmly looks at everything. Tension. But it was already late. And so he went out to Bethany with the twelve. He comes in, he looks around. I'm going home. Huh? Every one of these Jews who've been waiting a thousand years to finally be liberated. I mean, you know, it's one of those moments where you're like, what was that? He goes back down the 
same road and he leaves the gate of Jerusalem and he goes back to Bethany and he hangs out at Lazarus' house. What went wrong? Listen, listen to me carefully right here. Here's what went wrong. Jesus is saying, I'm not here to free you the way you want to be free. I'm here to bring you under God's rule. I'm not here to free you from Rome and give you the power because you'll just turn into Rome. The real thing that you have to have God's rule over is your heart. I came to rule over the heart. And to paint the picture Jesus used in unbroken cults. He always had a way of, of preaching sermons through using illustrations, didn't he? Now, now the cult had many uh, pictures to it. Obviously, there were Old Testament prophecies that said, when the chosen one, when the Son of God comes, he will, he will ride in on a colt as the king. But if you noticed, he chooses an unbroken colt. Now, we're city folk. We don't know much about this stuff. I have never been on a horse. I'm kind of freaked out by him. But I know this much that I'm not getting on a horse. I'm not getting on an unbroken horse. Are we good? Like getting on a horse to me is kind of freaky. Getting on a horse that's not tamed, like not broken, not happening. So why does Jesus use an unbroken horse to ride into the city of the Jews to declare that he's king? The message to them is this is you. And you need to be tamed in your heart. I came first to rule over your heart and tame your heart to be a follower of God. And then we'll worry about the, the earthly kingdom stuff later. Mark 11, verse... Oh, I love those moments right there. Oh, wow, yeah. The scriptures come alive. Mark 11, verse 2, And he said to them, Go into the village in front of you, and immediately as you enter into it, you will find a cold tide on which no one has ever sat. Wrong type of animal for the king to sit on. Verse 7, And they brought the colt to Jesus and threw their clothes on it, and he, and he sat on it an untamed, unbroken animal, and he rides it right into the middle of the mob of Jewish people to get them to see that they're the wild, unbroken people. Uh, Christianity, Palm Sunday, Good Friday, Easter Sunday, Lord's Day, the whole, the whole theme and mission of Christianity is to take us who are so radically out of control by sinful nature and bring us into God's control by becoming saved and receiving the Spirit of God and getting new hearts. I, I, was, I was so out of control before I was a Christian. I, I'm a little out of control still. But I was, I was so out of control. 
trying everything in the world to find purpose and value and power and all the rest. And it wasn't until I realized through a sermon being preached that what I really needed to do was come under control, under God's control. And I just had to be broke. I mean, I felt like the main, don't, don't use this against me now, but I felt like the maniac of Gadara a little bit. I felt like when I heard the gospel, when I heard that Jesus wants to save me and forgive me of my sins and give me his spirit and give me a new life, and when I accepted that message, it, it was like I was literally back in my right mind. It was like he had control over me. And life began anew when I began to look in his word and, and he says, let, let, me, let me now command you in new ways. So the whole picture of Palm Sunday is the king coming in and saying, I'm here to die on the cross, not to give you power. I'm here to die on the cross. That's why I'm entering into Jerusalem so I can rule over your heart and put you under God's control. And don't we all struggle with this? Uh, Can we just be super transparent this morning? I want to live life my way. Uh, And I I think we all, if we're honest, we all struggle with this. Uh, Whether you're a Christian or not, we all struggle with this. I know before I was a Christian, uh, it was a scary thing when I, when I would hear that God wants to be your Lord. That, that was a scary thing to give up control. And if you're here this morning and, you know, you're just straight San Francisco, I get it. I get it. If you're not saved, if you're not a Christian and you've, you've been wrestling with this and you're like, okay, the, this whole thing's kind of weird, I get it. You know, I, I don't think it's right to, you know, put a God over you. I get it. But it's an amazing thing when God does begin to take over your life through salvation. And if you're here and you're a Christian, what does Galatians say? That's the spirit wars with the flesh still, right? And just this morning, I was ruling. Like I was trying to get God to do things for me, you know, and I had to check myself and be like, what? that's why you don't feel right inside. That's why the agitation's there because you're trying, you're trying to play the role of God. You're trying to get back in control. And immediately, you know, it's like, oh, John, what are you doing here? And I, oh, Lord, no, no, you're Lord. And I put myself back under that, that submission. Do I find that freedom again? So no matter if you're a Christian or not, we battle this idea of, man, God wants to rule us? But can I, can I tell you something? Jesus wants to be king over our lives. And, and we all have a lot of substitute kings that, that are ruling over us anyway. Maybe it's career, or, or maybe it's relationship, or whatever it may be. Maybe it's not, they're not necessarily wrong, but they can be when they begin to dictate everything. These substitute kings do not love us. They're tyrants. And we all have the scars to prove it. Jesus Christ wants to rule. And he rules rights. And so I want to I close this by asking us a question. Maybe you're here and you're not a Christian. Or maybe you're here and you are a Christian and you're, you're really in that, 
that decision stage where you're like, man, I'm really struggling with this thing, and I know God wants me to do this, and I've, I've really been dodging it. Maybe you've even missed church or whatever because you're like, I know, I know how God works. The sermon's going to be like right at me. Or maybe you're just in one of those hard, confusing times. Knowing what you should do, but being, being scared, genuinely human, and just kind of scared of what it may do to you. It's understandable. So I want to ask you this question, and I want you to ask it to yourself. With what we know about authority and how crazy it can be and, and how much it can hurt us, why should we trust Christ? Why can we trust Christ to rule over us? Why? Here's the whole difference with the rule of Jesus Christ over your life. This is the whole difference. I don't want you to turn there. I want everyone just to sit and listen and, and allow the Spirit to speak to you. 2 Corinthians 5 and verse 14. Why, why can we trust Him to rule over our lives? For the love of Christ controls us. Because the motive behind Jesus wanting to rule over us is love. It's not to hurt us, and it's not to get his way. It's to put us on a path that's beautiful, and that will lead to life. The whole difference with, with Jesus the King is that he wants to rule out of love. For the love of Christ, Paul would write, controls us. Because we have concluded this, that one has died for all. Jesus has proven that he loves me and wants the best for me. He's already proven it on the cross. Therefore, all have died. Therefore, I can trust dying to my own will and rule. I can trust Jesus because his motive is love. And he died for all that those who live might, might no longer live for themselves. But for him, who for their sake died and was raised. He has already proven why you can trust him on the cross. For God so loved you. And so I say this, real love always wants the best for you. And that is why we can trust the king. And so maybe he is marching into the gates of your heart this morning, whether it be a decision as a Christian, or maybe you're not even a Christian, and you've been wrestling with this, this Christian thing for a while. Trust his love. So you can trust his rule. Let's bow our heads for just a minute. And I want us to begin to respond to this this morning. And so I just ask us to bow our heads. And again, in an attempt to, to just being real with one another, you guys. And just listen to my voice. We know we need to obey and trust God with certain things. And so whatever God has, has spoken to your heart about, I want to help us this morning to begin the process of returning to trusting Him. 
And so I'm going to walk you through it with your heads bowed and your hearts open. This starts with confession. And I know this is hard, but we need to confess this morning that what we are refusing to obey, every one of us, it's sinful. And it's actually uh, bringing into question how much Christ cares for us, if you think about it. And our trust to obey Him is only—it's only going to grow bright and beautiful again when we confess. When we confess, this is wrong because it allows us to begin to let go of it. So where you sit this morning, whatever it is, as a family this morning, why, why don't we confess it quietly in our hearts? And now we need to tell ourselves how much Christ loves us. And because he loves us, we know we can trust and obey him as scary as it is at times. And so whatever it is, return to his love. And maybe for others, maybe you're not a Christian and maybe you've seen yourself in this story and you've resisted being saved because you don't want anyone to rule over you. I understand. But something already is. Something is. And if you could just realize that Christ is a loving king and he wants the best for you so you can trust his rule. Why don't you turn to him this morning? Turn to him and and the best way you know how in the quietness of your heart this morning. Ask him to forgive you of your sins and to save you. Let go of your own rule. And he promises to lovingly guide you and shape you and give you a new life.